on Flix, your monthly movie podcast where we discuss, deliberate and dissect a movie of our choosing. This month it is Weight of the Eye. Brian, why was this on your list? What's your history with this film? My history with this film is that I pretty much knew nothing about it and uh, basically you told me about a shop called FOP. I looked up whether or not we had one in the local vicinity. We did. It was in Manchester. I went and they had loads of deals on the um, Arrow releases. Mm. So I bought a shed load of Blu-rays. In fact, I came back that day having spent over £100 on Blu-rays. Um, mm. And one of them was this. Uh, mainly because I, I, there, was, there was another Arrow release that I bought. Mm-hmm. I think it was Psycho 2. So I bought Psycho 2, uh, and then, because they were doing like 2 for 15, I think it was, mm-hmm. I had to find another one. So I just, I just, yeah, I spent ages just reading the backs. Because you know what Arrow's like? The, the, mm-hmm. There's some pretty obscure titles on there. And I liked the cover on this one. The cover looked pretty pretty cool with regards mm-hmm. to the artwork. And, that, and then I remember the, seeing the director's name and knowing that he had... He directed, um, oh, uh, performance, mm-hmm. uh, and also a, a film that I saw when I was yo- much younger called uh, "Bad the Bad Seed" or "Bad Seed." I don't know if it's the mm-hmm. in front of me, uh, which I remember it, it stuck in my mind. So I thought, you know what, let's go with it. Donald Camel could could be could be quite reliable. I know he only directed four films in his life, but uh, yeah, yeah. So yeah, so. I, yeah, blind by. Didn't know what to expect from it, quite frankly. But yeah, that is that. That's essentially my history with it. Yep, yeah, I, I am very similar to yourself. I picked it up cheap one day um, and added it to collection. Going, I'm going to watch that real soon. Jump two years later, and um, <laughs> <clears throat> you pull out the bag, and I'm like, yeah, it's time to. You know, it's one of those ones. I think I picked it up for like six quid. Oh. And if, if I hadn't have pulled it out of the bag, how many more years do you think you would have gone before you saw it? I don't know because um, personally, I, I, 80s is my genre. You know, or 80s is my time span. Um, and, and this is fits into the genre I love. I've never heard of this movie, ever. <laughs> um, I don't remember ever seeing the cover for it or, or anything. Mm. I didn't even know it was from the 80s. I thought it was maybe something from the 60s or, or, or something. I just... I had zero expectations or knowledge about what I was getting into. Which I suppose isn't a bad thing. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's yeah. good sometimes, actually, to go into a film and just not know anything about it. Not mm. have it... Because, like, you can, you can watch a classic that you've never seen before, but you know is a classic... Mm-hmm. And that can taint the way you judge the film. Yes. Um, 
e either way, basically. I mean, like take us with Akira, for example. Mm. We we both went into that film, um, not really having seen it properly before, and just knowing that it's this super, you know, classic of manga animation. It's held up there by so many people. And we went into it with such high expectations. It's just like, really? This, mm. is, this is the film that's a classic? So, yeah, it is quite refreshing to come into a film and not know anything about it. And the, and the circles that we both move in on YouTube, mm -hmm. uh, you know, we know a lot of horror tubers. I, I, I'm on Scream Stream with three guys who all, you know, love horror movies and I don't think I've ever seen any of them kind of mm -hmm. review this on their channel so yeah it, it's nice to just to, to not know anything about it not know anyone who knows anything about it uh, and just completely form your own opinion of it based based on that really so yeah yeah so let's get to an opinion but first we need a synopsis we do this was a tricky one it's a real tricky one. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, white of the eye. Um, <clears throat> After a series of brutal murders in Tucson, Arizona, Paul White, an audio tech specialist, becomes the prime suspect. However, his wife, Joan, provides him with an alibi, informing the police that he had been sleeping with one of his customers, Anne Mason, on the night the last victim was killed. But Joan later discovers some human remains concealed in the bathroom and realises that Paul actually is the killer. Paul attempts to murder Joan and their nine-year-old daughter, Danielle, but is interrupted by the appearance of Joan's ex-lover, Mike DeSantos, who manages to kill Paul and himself in the process. Before this explosive showdown, Mike has a chance encounter at a gas station with Joan, telling her that, due to an accident in prison, he developed the ability to see into the future. He also tells her that he loved her until Paul came along and put his eyes on her, insinuating that, the, that he somehow got under her... Bollocks, I almost had it. <coughs> he also tells her that he loved her, until Paul came along and put his eyes on her, insinuating that he somehow got under his spell. Oh, God. Third time. Third time's a jam. He also tells her that he loved her, until Paul came along and put his eyes on her, insinuating that he somehow got her under his spell. He says the Apaches call this the white of the eye. <laughs> okay. Um, the, the first thing I noticed about this movie is that it would make a nice thematic trilogy along with um, two of our previous reviews, um, The Hitcher and Cold in July. It seems to fit in a little bit with them, um, set in that city, Texas, Tucson area, the, the, the city, mm. towns surrounded by nothing, these people that, that, that live in their own kind of world. Mm. I just wasn't sure what I was getting here. The movie opens with uh, a killing at the start of, of a woman going home who is then brutally murdered, thrown all about her um, kitchen uh, to the demise of a goldfish as well, which is just you know, <laughs> terrible. What did you make of this opening scene? Um, 
the, the opening scene was, for me, it kind of symbolised what I was expecting going mm. in and going forward. I, I Honestly, I thought we would get a lot more of this kind of stuff yes. throughout the film. Um, and, you know, the, the opening does set it up as that typical kind of 80s slasher. You know, you, you start with a kill. You think of Halloween, you know, with the, mm-hmm. you know, the opening kill really sets out the stall. Um, and, 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 yeah, like I say, most of the 80s kind of style slashers. Uh, but uh, there's very little of this, mm. actually. Uh, and, and, in fact, it, it kind of becomes a character piece about th- three characters, really, but mm-hmm. primarily this, this character of Paul White, um, this, you know, this audio tech specialist, who on the, on the surface seems like a friendly guy, seems quite normal, seems like quite a loving father, a mm-hmm. reasonably loving husband. Um, but he's not without uh, his faults. But, but isn't, yeah, but not without his faults. But, but not uh, in the form of being a serial killer, but just, you know, the infidelity and... Yeah, well, this is it. And, and it, it, it kind of paints itself as a murder mystery. And this, this is the thing as well, is... Um, so, obviously, I, I got the Arrow Blu-ray mm. and they do really nice packages. But what I will say... Well, I mean, you, you're watching this review, so it's spoiled anyway, but... Uh, in hindsight, what I guess I would have told myself is don't look at any of that packaging. Don't read the packaging. Don't read the booklet inside because it completely ruins it. Because this is a murder mystery, you know? It, mm, like, yeah. if, 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 you, if you caught this late on TV one night, you'd be like, he, yeah, he's the killer. And then you're like, oh, he's not the killer. He can't be the killer. Um, and... Oh, he is a killer. So, so it's, yeah, it, it is kind of, you know, when he turns, you know, mm. when, like primarily when, when, when his wife finds out that there's body parts under the thing and you go, oh, crap. Um, and then it's, you know, she's in the house with him. How's, how's this going to be revealed? What's she going to say? What's she going to do? And, uh, and then he's just so matter of fact about it. Like, mm-hmm. like it's just the most normal thing in the world. Um mm. Which is a really nice reveal, uh, but yeah, it, it is. So it's, it's it's a murder mystery, primarily. I think mm. it, it, that is if you don't know the outcome, if you don't know, you know, that what what the booklet inside kind of spells out for you, which this guy is the killer, um, and not so much the kind of typical eighties slasher that you expect. Like I say, mm. that opening scene. That's what I expected more of. I expected at least like another five kills in that mm-hmm. kind of vein, um, and people just getting, you know, off left, right, and centre while the poli- while the police try and track the guy down. But it's really not that at all. Uh, no. it, it's it's just is this guy guilty or is he not? Yeah, um, the opening scene I, I kind of liked it because unlike most slasher movies, it it doesn't really focus too much in the victim. It, focuses more on the destruction of this clinically white kitchen area and you know the mm. destruction of the food and the meals and the dishes and all that and that kind of is almost more uh, than you would normally get in one of these movies it's just drawn out and there's some mm. slow motion in amongst there um, I thought it was quite 
uh, interestingly shot. It felt like a, a little bit like a Giallo movie, the, the mm. way it kind of lingered on these abstract images while the horrific uh, thing was going on. And I kind of liked it. But jumping ahead like yourself, I, I, I got the steelbook version, so there's nothing on the back. Oh. Um, so I, I literally had no knowledge. I just opened it up, put a disc in. And like you said, I was like, okay, so he's the killer at the start until he wasn't. And yeah. I was like, wow, they're, they're trying to pull a switch here. He's not the killer. It could be one of these other people that's setting him up. And I literally talked myself out of him being the killer and believed mm. the characters. It seemed mm. like they don't, and I think this is one of the key things, they don't paint him as a perfect character. He does. He's, he's a loving husband. He works hard. He, he is invested in his job. He has faults. He, he's, mm. uh, he has his infidelity. He has some dodgy dealings that you feel that he kind of does. So he, they don't paint him as an honest character. <coughs> and that kind of gives you that belief that, all right, he has done some wrongs, but I don't think he would do these horrible killings that they're talking about. Yeah. Um, so until that reveal of the, of the, the bathroom scene, I was kind of convinced that it wasn't him. And that was mm. terrific. That was a terrific way to enter the movie before we get to that final third where it goes crazy. Yeah. It's like, he, and even though he, like like you said, he has the infidelity, you know, we get that scene with him and this, this woman, Anne, I think isn't it, her name was, mm. <coughs> where she's coming on really strong. She She basically wants him. There's no question mm-hmm. about it. And he does try to turn her down. He, he, he tries to stop all her advances, and in the mm-hmm. end, he just caves. So you, you can, you know, you can see there is that, you know, desire to be decent there. Oh, that's mm-hmm. what it appears like, anyway. Um, but yeah. yeah, in actual fact, and we get to the end of the film and we realise it's just a complete disdain for women. Uh, so. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> One thing we've not really touched on as well is the the, the structure of the story because we kind of have two parallel tales going on here. You alright? Yeah, what was that? I I think it was a TV just kind of went on and jumped up loud. (laughs) Okay. Uh, So one of the things we haven't really talked about here is the structure of the story. We have Mm. two kind of parallel stories going on. We have the story um, of Mike and, I forget the wife's name, what's her name again, Brian? Kathy Moriarty? Uh, Yeah, can't remember. (coughs) We have the tale of them uh, on their journey to California. um, And then we have the tale of current day where she is with a a, a kid, with this guy, uh, Paul. And it kind of flits back and forth and you get a mystery in who is the killer what's going on here but you also get the mystery on why did this couple break up why did she move on with Paul what happened in between and it also gives you a nice red herring other than could Mike be the person that's behind all this could this be his retribution for losing the love of his life and you're never quite sure you know you've got a couple of mysteries you've got a couple of things going on it always keeps you guessing and where these characters are going next. See, I wish I could have seen it in that light. I really do. Um, mm. it's, it's like a piece of advice for anyone, those Arrow releases, don't ever read the booklet until you've seen the film. Because um, I just looked, yeah, I was reading in the, ma- the, like the making of it and stuff, and then they talked about that reveal and how, mm. how he goes like, 
totally crazy and stuff. And and it's just right there. I so there was no mystery for me. So and yeah. I don't know if I don't know if I if I had seen this without knowing that ending, uh, whether I would have felt the same about Mike. Uh, like I I watched him in in my viewing. I I I kind of. I could see that that's where they were trying to go, set him up as the possible killer. But he mm. was like he was too crazy, if, you know. Right. Like to like for me, he seemed a bit too. Uh, the spacemen are coming. That kind of crazy. <laughs> what, not not, nece- not 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 necessarily serial killer crazy, but more wacky UFO mm. a- Area Fifty One type crazy. Uh, so so yeah, it, it's a shame. It, I guess is what I'm saying that I I didn't get to see it with those eyes. Um, mm-hmm. but, uh, yeah, as I, I want to quickly talk about the the, the second murder scene that we see, um, mm. which comes midway through the movie, and it is undoubtedly one of the most brutal brutal murders I think I've seen on screen. Yeah, I mean it's 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 not like uh, ultra violent, but it's just no. it's what he does because yes. it's that i that idea of you know you're dying and then somebody holds a mirror up to your face so that you can see your own face as you're dying. That is some twisted ass stuff <laughs> right yeah. there, really um, twisted. It, it doesn't. It's funny how you get these things that sometimes feel. Like it's part of a, a movie, you feel as if something's been written, but that feels like the kind of crazy thing that that would a psychopath would do. That, that you mm. know, that, that twisty thing, and the, and the way he just picks her up and thumps her in the head as well, just as he mm. attacks her, it's just yeah. it's 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 and wrapping her in the in the wire and then put her in, in the water. It is horrific, yeah. and it's um, I mean, the mirror makes it onto the cover art as well for good reason because it looks pretty yeah. terrific. But yeah, but it, it, it is the scene that sticks out for me. So mm. it makes sense that that would be the cover art because it, it is once the film's over, that's the scene that you kind of remember. Oh, this, this is the scene I remember. Yes, um, I, I don't know if you nice... know. Sorry, I, I, I don't know if you know much about the director Donald Camel. I, I watched the extra that was on there. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Cause, no. So he he had quite the obsession with death. When, when he was alive um, and he always said that he would end up taking his life uh, you know, he, he often told friends and family that that will be the way he goes that he will take his life uh, and, he, and he did indeed mm-hmm. take his life um, I don't know if that was a dissatisfaction to his, his career because like I say he only ever made four films uh, one of which his performance and Nicholas Rogue are almost universally seems to get the credit for that film when in actual fact Rogue himself has stated that you know he left before that film was even finished production uh, mm. and and that actually Camel probably had the biggest hand in it more definitely more than Rogue uh, I, I think with this one from a stylistic point of view he certainly proves that he was more than capable of having been the guy behind performance uh, but uh I feel like that kind of obsession with death creeps in here. Well, it doesn't creep in. It's 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 in a technical vision for all to see. Mm. And I feel like that scene there, in which he holds the mirror up to that victim, does almost feel like uh, 
yeah, I guess knowing Camel's backstory, knowing what type of person he was, you can see where that comes from. I guess that you know he was he was obsessed with death. He literally holds a mirror up to it. Here, uh, he's, mm. he's he's got a bit of an obsession with with kind of getting behind that curtain, so to speak. So yeah, yeah, yeah it is. It's really it's really interesting. Um, one of the, the things, that I, another thing that I found quite interesting was this hint, a small flavour of a Native American mysticism that, that, that touches through the movie. Mm, yeah. um, and the fact that they never go too deep in it, which I think is is, is an interesting choice. And, and I like that idea because I think going into it too much could have wasted it. I can, I can see that you've got different thoughts, but what do you think then? This is my main criticism of the film, right. okay. to be honest. I don't think it goes deep enough. Um, right. I, I, don't, I don't feel like we need you know, a, a huge backstory on Native American history or anything, but I just... Like, I, I read the, the synopsis to you at the beginning mm. and that conversation that, that Mike has with, um, with Paul's wife... A lot of what I read in that synopsis, I didn't write that. I, I cribbed that synopsis from other places. And I personally didn't get what that synopsis told me from that scene. And I watched that scene twice. Um, you know, I get the sense that the guy, you know, essentially had his woman stolen. And then he just, and then he says, the Apaches call that the wide of the eye. And it's like, call, call what the wide of the eye? <laughs> exactly. You know, it's like, I, I, I get, again, this guy's crazy. He's, he's, he's a few tools short of the bag, but it's just mm. like, I, I, because it's such a big part of, well, it's the title. It's the flipping mm. title of the film, you know what I mean? So if there is some kind of mystical attached to it I kind of want to have some understanding as to what that is um, and yeah, I see, never really go with, with, with what Mike says that there's a moment at the start where uh, one of the policemen points out that, that you know the north east south west is colours for the, the, mm. the, the Native Americans and he points out that this seems that colourised and then at the end uh, he's done up Paul's done up with the colours on him you know the, the blue red yellow and, and white it's all on him as well I was taking it all from Paul's perspective because he's obviously, and I could be reading into it, he's somebody that's spent a lot of time here hunting in the wilderness, has probably dealt with the Native Americans at certain points and has, I don't know, cribbed on some of their uh, beliefs uh, to his own ends, whether it's, it's influenced his misogyny or, or whatever or, or been a, a tool towards that, um, who knows, but I kind of like the fact that it it isn't answered for you, it's just there in the background, just peppered around, hoping that, you know, you, you might pick up on things like that. And because they don't explain it, because they don't go in-depth to all the facets of it, it, it leaves it more open for interpretation. And, um, yeah, so I suppose that's my kind of ramblings in that. Yeah, I, I, I just, like, I get the... Uh, I get the... Um, the display stuff. Mm. My grumble is that the title of the film, White of the Eye, doesn't come from that stuff. It doesn't come from anything the cop tells us about 
the serial killer's modus operandi or whatever. You know, it, it comes only from what Mike says. You know, that that's mm-hmm. where that's where we get the title of our film from, and I am clueless at, really as to what he's ranting about. So, I, yeah, I, I don't know. It just, it just Give your film a different title, I guess, because when, when that's your title and then a character says that, mm. then it should have more weight, it should have impact, I should, it should clue me into what, I don't know, whatever, whatever the film is trying to say, I guess, if indeed it is trying to say something. Um, and it, it's not just that scene. Uh, there are a, there's a lot of scenes in this where I feel like they're very loosely strung together, like the connective mm. tissue between them is quite a thin thread. Mm. Um, mostly on the back end of the film, I think, uh, like when all the chaos ensues and just starts kicking off, you're kind of like, <laughs> what, what? Like, like for example, she, you know, the wife does the does a runner. There's a nice little car mm-hmm. chase. She has a crash. She's running from her husband. And then all of a sudden, Mike just turns up. He's just, yes. just randomly there. And it's like, <laughs> so are we, are we to take it from that, that his little speech about being able to see into the future or whatever is true? Yeah, was, mm-hmm. was he waiting there because he knew it was going to happen? But it, it's just not much is made of it. That's the thing. Like the, the, the wife or anyone didn't go, dude, what the hell? Have you been following us? Like what? How did you even know to be here? You know, any stuff like that. And then um, the other one was uh, when the wife finds the stuff in the bathroom, mm. her reaction to it is a non-event. Mm. It's, a, it's literally like, like she's just discovered that her husband is the one who has been using the tea towels on the dirty plates instead of cleaning them properly. And she's come in to just say, what's going on with the towels? Can you not, can you not clean the plates properly first? Yeah. Come on. You know, and it, it, mm. it's like, it, it's just in that moment, should she not be like, I don't know, I don't know. I, just, I, I think maybe it's down to the performance of the actress. I don't think she's, particularly great an actress to be honest I, I, I don't know if I've seen her in anything else so I'm only going off the strength of this um, but uh, I, I wasn't sold on her abilities here she didn't kind of although there were times when you know there's a little bit later on just after that where she does genuinely get upset but I just I, I don't know I just feel it takes too long to get to that point you've literally mm. just discovered Body parts in yes. your bathroom, you know. It's like I mean, why that? But it's yeah. only a hand, Brian. It's only several <laughs> hands. You know? People can survive without a hand. Some people have pot yeah. putty, red kegeling. This guy has hands in a bag. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I get just, your point on that. It is. Yeah. It's just that you know, hey, honey, I said I need yeah. a hand, not several. <laughs> yeah. No, but it just, it just, it's like it, it's not, it's not the story. It's not so much the story that bothers me. It, it's not the style, because I like, I like the way it's shot. Mm. I think it's nicely stylized. I think there's some good bursts of action and, 
some genuine moments of threat and things like that. And like I say, the, the kill sequences are really effective. Um, I, I do like the story uh, from what I can tell is going on, you know, this, this, mm. the, between these three characters. I just feel like the story that was in Camel's head hasn't been fully translated to to the to the film, so you're almost having to fill in blanks, and not not in a purposeful way, not in a oh, I'm so uh, good as a director that I know when to leave things out and when not to, so that the audience can, you know, do the work, so to speak. Uh, it, no, it, it just feels like maybe there are a few scenes that could have been shot that weren't and maybe a few scenes that were shot could have been better handled uh, but yeah, the, 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 I don't know how else to describe it but the film feels as if there's a kind of dreamlike quality to it, it mm. you know some of the scenes don't tie together it's very bright and, and, and airy and, and it just kind of flows along you know sometimes it's, it's not a, a long movie but it feels at certain points as if it's just coasting by and then there'll be like a rapid change in pace or there'll be a tense scene that that just kind of dissipates into this kind of ether again it's just it's a very weird movie that mm. I liked I wouldn't say I hated and I would go back to it again more out of curiosity than anything else just to see what I had missed or, or to clarify more things and to be honest I think I would come away with more questions than answers mm. Yeah, I'd agree with that. It's again, like 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 you said, it's not a film I hate. I I don't dislike it. Um, I think it's solid enough, and there's enough intrigue in there to make me w- maybe want to come back for more someday. Uh, I like this the central character, this this guy, this Paul. Uh, I think um, I can't remember the name of the actor who plays him, but Keith David. Keith David, he gives a really solid performance here. He's, he's, he, he handles it really well. You know, when, when he has to do the switch from pretty decent family man to total wacko, it doesn't feel forced. It doesn't, it doesn't feel like he's, you know, and by forced I mean that he's, he's having to force the audience to, to buy the oh actually he's no it feels natural it feels yeah. like the two the two people the two halves of this same coin are actually they're, they're just the same and they've just gone unnoticed and it's all it's only now that he's been discovered that he's it's almost like he's allowed to relax he's allowed to just bleh, let it splurge out and as as a result he just comes off as a complete nutback. But he, he believes this crazy-ass stuff that he's saying, this, this mm. stuff that's coming out of his mouth. Um, and I think that, yeah, in the hands of... I think, I think many actors could play this role, uh, but I think the wrong actor would, yeah, would really make you notice that change. It's like they would look at the camera and go, I'm crazy now. You know, and it's and he doesn't. He doesn't do it that way at all. He does it like it's the most natural thing in the world for him to say this stuff, um, and and it's totally the right way to play it. So yeah, yeah. Wrap ups, wrap ups. Yep. Yeah, do you want to go or shall I? Uh, yeah. Like I said, it's 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 um, it's certainly a better slasher movie than than a lot of eighties 
fair. Um, just don't go into it expecting full-on slasher movie. There's like there's literally like two kills in it. So you know, e- even Halloween, the first Halloween had more than that, and that doesn't actually have a right lot in itself. But I. Uh, so yeah, it's more it's more a murder mystery. Which, if you're listening to our podcast or you know watching this video be- before you've seen the film, that mystery is going to be dead. It's it's gone. There's no mystery anymore. Um, but that's the way I saw it. You know, I went into it knowing who the killer was, and yet I can still take something away from this. Primarily that central performance by Keith David, uh, the style of it, the way in which it's shot, I think is is really. It's quite classy. It's a cut above, I would say, yep. the likes of most of your Friday the 13th and those kind of films. Um, and I, I can tell that there is clearly something underneath. There is an attempt here to, to do something on a, a story level and a character level um, and, and look at death, really. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I, I give it a three out of five. Solid yeah. enough. But just because of how disjointed it is in places, how you have to do a bit too much work to fill in the blanks, it, it just it, yeah, it just brings it down a bit. So that, so it's a good film, but it's not a great film. Yeah, there, there's I, there's something here. I, I know that you know I, I love like yourself. There's lots of things that I can point to and go. I really like that, but I don't know if it's a benefit of the doubt. By believing that, because it, I am a little bit confused about certain things that I'm reading more into than I, I, I'm not, um, but I'm, I am willing to go with it. I would be willing to go back to it again. I think a lot of the style, um, stylistically, uh, decisions that's been made through the film are the right one, and they look great. I love the, the sort of, uh, twin storylines that you're never really too sure how they're going to connect at some point. Um, if you if you haven't seen this and you're watching it for the first time, the mystery I think is. Is really pretty good and well played. Um, it's unfortunate that you know the information's out there that can spoil it for you, but yeah. I, I didn't have that, so I feel as if it, a lot of the time I was like, "Where's this going to go? What's going to happen? Is he? Isn't he? What's what's going on?" But again, I walked away going, "I liked it. I don't know if I fully got everything out of it the first watch." Yeah. So I gave it three out of five. Excellent. Now we're going to move on to our top five movie psychopaths. Hmm. Uh, now, <laughs> there's a lot to choose from, it must mm. be said. An awful lot of movie, movie psychopaths. Like just, just looking at the majority of horror movies, they tend to have you know, a psychopath of some description in it. You know, slasher movies, uh, even mm. thrillers. Films that aren't out and out horrors, just your, just your regular thrillers, most have psychopaths. I could, I could do an endless list on how many great psychopaths there are out there uh, in movies, and it, it actually kills me to to not put some of them on this list. But when I was doing it, I, I just for me, I went with what I felt were the stone cold classics, the ones mm. that have stood the test of time, have become iconic really, in their own right. Uh, some of them not as much as others, but certainly a few on this list, definitely. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, I, I kind of tackled my list a, a little bit differently. I looked at it, and the big ones are the big ones. You, you can't argue with them that they are 
fantastic performances. There's a certain notoriety about them for a good reason. Um, yeah. What I did with my list is I tried to choose performances that stuck with me, that, that are a little bit different. You know, I, I looked up, you know, the, the definition of, of, of psychopath, what it entails, and some movies have characters that don't initially jump out at you as that kind of person, but I felt as if they belong. There will be a couple of big ones in here, um, and hopefully a, a couple of surprises of, yeah, never thought about that. Mm. So... Who's going to go first, Brian? Go on, I'll go. I'll go first. Um, okay. Uh, so number five. I don't know if my number five fits the bill of the psychopath or the sociopath. Hmm. And there's a a very fine line, I guess, that divides the two, but. It's a bit too late now to change my mind, so I'm I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to stick with it. Um, so for my number five, I've gone with Michael Douglas as defense in Falling Down, um, a film that I really love. I think it's Joel Schumacher's best film. I think it's highly underrated, and it's just yeah, this guy stuck in traffic at the beginning of the film, as we've all been. Mm. You know, on one of the hottest days of the year, he just says, that's it, I've had enough. He gets out of the car, leaves his car behind, and then blazes a trail across the city to get back to his wife uh, and his daughter, who have a restraining order put out against him. So he shouldn't even be going there to begin with. Um, but yeah, he's determined to get a, a birthday present home to his daughter but people just keep getting in his way. And because this is the day where he said, that's it, I've had enough. If you get in his way, you're going to be making a mistake, uh, you know? And things just keep escalating and escalating until there's no going back. Uh, And, uh, yeah, I just, I love the performance by Michael Douglas I love the character. I love the fact that I sympathise with him in many ways because a lot of the situations he gets in, mm-hmm. you kind of feel he's justified, you know? Uh, like the, 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 the shopkeeper being a complete douche with him over like a couple of pence, you know? Yeah. Or a couple of cents because it's American over a drink. You know, it's, it's so hot, you can see the sweat pouring off him and there's no charity in this guy at all. He won't let him off just for a few measly cents for this drink. And then he's got these gangsters who attack him, just because he's on their land, uh, you know? And then you've got this, this racist, a-hole, military shop owner who, who's, yeah, he makes the mistake of thinking they're the same. And then something as simple as going into a burger joint, you know, going into like a, I think it's called Whammy Burger or something, and you see the poster with a really succulent burger, and then he gets this sweaty bum that's been pressed down, it's this minging thin burger in, in a bag, and it's just like the little rant that he has over it, and yeah, it's, it's just the whole thing, you're almost with him every step mm. of the way, you know? Um, and, and it's like, it is a film that calls attention, I think, to just how close all of us are to stepping over that line, to becoming 
what this guy is, um, you know. So, yeah, that's, that's why I love it, and that's why I love the performance and, and, and this guy, just because he's so relatable. So, yeah, defense from falling down. Yep, I, um, <clears throat> I had to put Silence of the Lambs um, on my list, number five, uh, for Buffalo Bill um, mm. rather than Hannibal. Hannibal, yeah. the movie has two psychopaths in it. Mm. Hannibal is the more operatic of them, the more performance, the one that is yeah. intelligent. Um, but I want to go for the, the baseless animal, the one that, that, that will torture somebody for days um, simply so that it can hack the skin off of someone that is so damaged that doesn't see anything wrong with that, 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 that plans out these horrific attacks on these women. Um, you know, whereas there is a, a certain uh, aspect to Hannibal that he's doing it for a purpose. He wants to eat the people. This guy is just, you know, a complete animal. I think it's a fantastic performance by Ted Levine. Because um, he's not in the movie a lot, but when you do see him, you do get constant feeling of threat, unease, and just weariness, which is always a good sign of a psychopath. Yeah. Um, I, I've stated in other places in the past, uh, and, and I, I still stick to it, that in many ways I think that what Ted Levine does with Buffalo Bill is much more remarkable than what mm. um, Anthony Hopkins does with Lecter. And actually, if, if I'd have put Silence of the Lambs on this list, it would have been for Buffalo Bill as well. Mm. Uh, I think it's a much more committed performance, given some of the stuff he does, you know, the whole tucking the tail between yeah. the legs scene. And it's just like, literally, yeah, Anthony Hopkins gets to stand in a room for most of his work and, and put on a, a a bizarre, shall we say, voice. Uh, I, it, it's still a performance I love, you know. Yeah. He's, mm -hmm. he's got the absolute cold-eyed, you know, stare that, uh, of steel. The, his eyes in that film, what he does with them, is just, he's just really intense. <clears throat> but, yeah, I, I, I've always thought that, for me, Buffalo Bill is the scarier of the two. Uh, yeah. He's yeah, he's very. He's, he seems more real to me rather than yeah. a pantomime yeah. villain. So exactly, when you look yeah. at it, you get a realistic serial killer, mm. and you get a performance of a serial killer. Mm. Yeah. Okay, so my number four is Jack Torrance from The Shining. Uh, just it's Jack Nicholson on full on Jack Nicholson mode. Uh, it's it's arguable whether or not he's ever been better, to be honest. Mm. Um, you know, seeing him completely lose it with his wife, that, that scene where they're walking up the stairs uh, and she's swinging the, <laughs> swinging the bat at him. Uh, just, yeah, brilliant performance from him and just, just a really memorable role. Seeing this mm. guy who has a darkness in him right from the start, to be honest. You know, I, I've, I've, mm. I've done an essay on this over on one of my YouTube channels, just the fact that this, this, isn't a, this isn't a story about a good man who becomes corrupted. It's a story about a man who already had darkness within him, and that's mm. why, he was, that's why he, he was able to be turned so easily. Uh, you know, that's, if you think about the, the hotel as this haunting character that tries to twist people and bring them into the darkness, it's only able to do so with people like Jack, who mm. have that darkness in them already. Uh, so, yeah, a, a 
really good portrayal of a psychopath and just just a fun one to watch. Just seeing yeah. him lose his stuff is is just a blast to watch every time you watch The Shining. So. Um, one of my friends told me um, the, the next time I was going to watch The Shining, and I did this, he's like, don't think of it as, as Jack Nicholson um, becoming psychotic during it. Think of it as the movie starts, he's already psychotic. Mm. Um, he's crazy. And thinking about that, even when he goes for the job interview mm. and he's like, he's sitting back and the eyes are wide and he's like, yeah, yeah. And you're going, yeah. this, this guy is already broken before he even gets here. Yeah. Um, this is just a yes. catalyst that just gives him a little nudge to become homicidal. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's why he takes the job in the first place. He wants the yeah. isolation. He doesn't, he doesn't even like his family. Hmm. He's, he's, he's not a man who particularly lo- loves his family. You, you, you get little clues to that in some of his behaviour, but he is. He's, he's, he's taken this job on so that he can be isolated and, and distance himself from as many people as possible. So, yeah. Okay, so I was having a, a think of some alternative psychopaths um, and I was reading up on what makes a psychopath and it's somebody that, that that's, you know, thinks they're smarter than other people, can manipulate other people, can do things uh, to other people that most people can stomach doing and things like that. So I decided to put on my list, number four, Hard Candy, in particular, Haley Stark, the girl yes, of it, yeah. who is the heroine of the piece, but goes in this place. that It goes into the supposed lion's den with a plan in her head. Now, I don't want to spoil this movie for anybody that hasn't seen it because I think it's fantastic. And I think a lot of the time, the subject matter puts people off from watching this one. But I think it is a twisting tale directed by David Slade who did a fantastic job. Two actors, two outstanding performances... And this is a twisting, turning tale that will keep you guessing and surprising at every turn. Yeah. I wish I could say more. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's good. It's good, yeah. Okay, so my number three is Norman Bates from Psycho, obviously. Uh, mm. Just the epitome, really, you know, of, of the movie Psycho. Psychopath. Pr- pretty much the one that started it all in many ways, uh, you know, in, the same year, 1960, you had uh, Peeping Tom released as well. So kind of those two movies really gave birth, I think, to the slasher genre, although it took many years for for it to really become a thing. Um, but, uh, yeah, the thing with Norman Bates is that you feel sorry for the guy, mm. you know? Um, he's, he's trapped, essentially, in his own body, with his with his mother or this this other personality of his mother and yeah just it, 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 it's 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 an absolute classic of a film but I think that Anthony Perkins really sells you on Norman Bates just this mm. kind of everyday kid bit of a mama's boy soft hearted good natured but deep down there's there's a real darkness working yeah. within him uh, and it's just yeah it's brought out throughout the film in a really expert way by Hitchcock and uh, like I say that performance by Perkins so great mm. stuff yeah uh, my number three from seven is John Doe oh. and 
the reason I put this one on there is because, well, this is a character that you only see in the last five minutes of the movie. But by the time you get to him, you've seen what he has done. And what he's done is some of the most reprehensible things I've ever seen done to people before. You know, the various uh, sins that he's he's put upon people are disgusting, stomach-churning, and makes you wonder what kind of person could or would do this. And when you get to the end and you see the person, it's just a guy. You know, it's not a monster. It's an unassuming-looking guy who has put this plan in place. You know, it's measured. It's not spur of the moment. It's well thought out and it's well put into action. And that is a horrifying version of a psychopath. Yeah. Turns out it wasn't much of a performance, really. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, I, I'm. I'm quite gutted now that I didn't put that on my list. Uh, mm. That it would make my top. <laughs> See, this this is the thing. You do these lists, and it's like, I mean, that's an obvious one to me. How did I not even think? Of that, how did I not see that? Uh, you know, I looked, I looked along my shelves, and that should have jumped out at me. But what what I love about uh, John Doe in Seven is that he, he he's he's kind of right. He's he's like his his murders are making this statement. You know, there's, there's one point when he says in the film that. You can't just tell people these days. You've got to you've got to hit them over the head with a baseball bat, essentially, just to, to let it sink in. And it's just this this idea that actually we're the human race is just evil, uh, just filled with sin and darkness. And and what he's doing here is holding a mirror up to that darkness, in the hope that it's going to sink in. Uh, like in in his mind. He's he's here to do some good. He's here to change the world for the better. Uh, mm. But it's just a really, really twisted way of going about it, uh, you know. Uh, so it's yeah, it's great stuff. Yeah, uh, really, really great choice. Gutted that I didn't put it on my number five. But um, anyway, my number two uh, is John Ryder from The Hitcher, a film that we've reviewed before on. Mm-hmm. Brits on flicks. Um, I, I love this guy because you, you don't know anything about him. He's a force of nature. Uh, you know, it's like we get little hints about what's going on underneath, but not, nothing really overt, just these kind of subtle hints here and there that give you this idea that he's a man who essentially wants to die. He wants someone to kill him. You know, he's, it's like he's looking for, for that person, that adversary, who will do what needs to be done to put him down. He knows he's, he's not right in the head, I guess. He knows that he needs to be stopped, but he's going to damn well take as many people out with him as he can before that person does stop him. Uh, and, and it's just, that's all it is. It's that simple. You know, the film starts, the guy picks him up, and he's a psychopath right from the get-go. And, and he just, yeah, he just goes about this campaign of terror on this one guy throughout the rest of the film until he stops him. 
uh, and there's there's something almost demonic about him, you know. There's the fact that they can they can't find anything on this guy, you know. They run his prints, nothing. The his name, nothing. Don't even know if it's a real name. It could be an alias. It just it's come from nowhere. He's going to nowhere. It's just like yeah, who is this guy? We don't know. We know barely anything else about him by the time the film's finished than we did at the start. And that's what makes him intriguing. Because it could be anybody. It could be you, it could be me, it could be, you know, just someone who's had a bad day and snapped, or someone who's got cancer, someone who hates the world, whatever. It doesn't matter. You build the picture because that's, that's just what they do with the film. They don't fill in all the gaps. So, yeah. Um, but in a good way. You know, like we, we, I said in our review of White of the Eye, that film was kind of a bit, didn't fill in enough gaps. This one doesn't fill in enough gaps, but in the right way, not the wrong way. So, yeah. Hmm. My number two is The House That Jack Built, with a titular character, Jack. This is a recent release, and it's one that really, really made an impression. Very rarely do you have um, a serial killer uh, as your main character let alone someone who is the narrator for the movie, so we get everything from his thought perspective. Now, it really gives you an insight into to what he's thinking and why he's thinking it and how it escalates his actions, how he reasons things. There's a fantastic um, monologue in it where he talks about the urge to killing, um, and it's animated as well, and it's great, and it has this, this character walking along a, a, a street at night and he says, as you walk, as you kill somebody, you're directly under a streetlight. And as you walk away, the feeling's still there until you get to the midpoint where it starts to build again as he gets towards the next streetlight. And it's, it gives you an understanding to what he's thinking, what he's feeling, and the actions that he takes throughout the movie. And it kind of puts a twisted perspective on it. Because you know that everything that he's doing is deplorable, destructive, but you can understand his reasoning behind it. You know, you can understand his thought process. And I think that was a really, really fantastic insight into a, a mind of a psychopath. Okay. Uh, I've not seen that one. Uh, I, I do have it. Um, so I, I will get around to Definitely. it at some point. I can't say I've it's... been the biggest fan of Lars von Trier in the past. No, nope. uh, same. But, uh, right, okay. Um... All right, so my number one, I'm pretty sure this isn't going to come as a surprise to anyone who knows me, uh, but yeah, Heath Ledger's Joker from The Dark Knight. Dark Knight is my favourite movie. Much of that is because of Heath Ledger's Joker. Uh, not only jo the, the Joker, though, of course. I, I do think it's a great film on every level, uh, but let's face it, the thing people most remember is Heath Ledger's Joker. Uh, it is just... Well, it won, it won him an Oscar, and I think it would have won, it, won him an Oscar even if he hadn't have died. I genuinely believe that, because it was such an amazing performance. Um, again, he's one of these whirlwind characters. He comes in, you don't really know a right lot about him. At one point, it looks like, oh, we are going to know something about him, because he starts dishing his story out. And the first time I saw the film, actually... I didn't like that moment uh, when he, you know, he's got the knife in Gamble's mouth and he starts giving 
a bit of backstory. And I'm like, oh, no, don't, don't do that. Uh, it's just, the less we know about this guy, the better. And I was a bit disappointed when he did that little speech. I was like, oh, all right. But then not so long after, we get another story, completely different story. And it's like multiple choice history with this guy. And we suddenly realize that, okay, great. We, we, we know what Nolan's doing with this guy, mm. with this character. It doesn't matter what happened to him. All we know is that something happened, something bad. You know, he's the, he's the flip side of the same coin to Bruce, yeah. to Batman. You know, both of these guys at some time in their life had their worst day that pushed them to the limit. And with one of these guys, it turned him into a vigilante who wanted to help his city. With the other, it turned him into a raving lunatic who wanted to watch the world burn. Uh, and, and just, yeah, doing these little stories to different people, having the Joker give his, you know, alternate back histories kind of thing, just beautifully puts that out there. Uh, so, and, and beyond that, he's just one of the most fun to watch. You know, the pencil trick, the way mm. he acts on the, on the truck when, when they're in the big chase sequence. Uh, just when, um, when Batman gets knocked off the bike and, you know, he's, he's, it's just, yeah. And again, he's another one of those characters who almost, it's almost like he wants to die. A bit like, there's a lot of similarities, I feel, between Heath Ledger's Joker and uh, Rutger Hauer in The Hitcher. Uh, just uh, not not necessarily in performance, but just in what we know about them, who they are. They, like I say, they come in like a whirlwind. They cause chaos. That seems to be their their reason for existing, and then they and then they go. And and mm. like I say, we don't know much more about them once the film is over with. But are we? Are we? I feel like we do know a bit more about Joker than we do with John Ryder. But again, it's that thing where we don't know exactly what it is. All we know is he's had a bad day, the worst day of his life, and it's enough to make him snap. Uh, and yeah, and now he's just a crazy clown who's who's real a real joy to watch thanks to that performance. So yeah, absolutely. That's that's my favourite movie psychopath. Okay, um, my favourite movie psychopath is Tyler Durden and the narrator from Fight Club. Mm. Um, because this is a very charismatic character, both of them, the same yeah. one type of thing, um, and you get two flips of a coin, but both are as bad as one another. Um, performed by Edward Norton and and uh, Brad Pitt, Tyler Durden was one of those uh, force of natures. Now, how often do you find a psychopath that becomes a staple for a generation? where people actually take these ramblings of a madman, put them on T-shirts or quote them. The type of thing that he's poking fun at in the movie, people took to heart and actually started preaching that as though it was kind of gospel. This is a psychopath that is highly intelligent, that knows his audience, that pushes all the buttons. And even after the fact that we know what goes on, people still buy into it. People still treat it like a cult-like figure. It's, it's fantastic. You know, you don't. Which, which is kind. It kind of says something, really, about the society we live in, mm, because because yes. because actually, when you get to the end of the film, the narrator has to reject 
Tyler Durden. He has mm. to reject what Tyler Durden stands for. You know, at the start of the film, he's living in a measly existence, a mundane existence. Mm. And what's the flip side to that? Well, the flip side to that is Tyler Durden. You go from one extreme to the other. And the film is actually saying that we can't exist like this. We can't mm. exist in the mundane nine to five the way we've been going. And we, but, but we can't just say, let's blow caution to the wind and have utter chaos and be, be, all be like Tyler Durden. No, there has to be a middle ground somewhere. We have to reject both in order to do something new, mm. the, 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 the proper path kind of thing. That's the way I've always seen it anyway. Yeah. Um, mm. So it's, a, it's funny. And you, know, you, you, you talk about how people quote him all the time. They do the exact same thing with a Joker. You know, how, when Dark Knight came out, how many people were quoting those Joker lines? And there's, there's a cert, when you get a psychopath right in a movie, yeah. you, you, have to, you have to give them an ideology that makes sense, that, that people can kind of root for. Um, and it's only by their behaviour... That kind of that, that brings their ideology crashing down, uh, you know, and it, it's like, but 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 the, yeah, I, to me that seems to be the the best ingredient for for the best psychopaths is to is to to give them an ideology that is is very it's just just enticing, mm. I guess, enticing. Um, but uh, yeah, sorry, I, I I cut you off. No, but, uh... no you're fine, you're fine. I, I think I was just thinking there actually that that's ten different psychopaths we've got. They're all pretty fantastic. I think we've got mm. two good lists. Um, yeah. I, I don't think there's any arguments for any of those ten at all. And I, I could make a completely different one. You know, mm. if so, it's like I think Joker would stay on it. He's definitely going to be my number one. But like say when when you brought up John Doe from Seven, it's like. Of course, you know, and, and there's a few others, uh, <coughs> kind of unsung ones that, you know, like the hand that rocks the cradle, the the woman yeah. in that. I just because because we've not given any female psychopaths mm. their due, uh, you know, the 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 woman from Misery, you know, absolutely nuts. Yeah. But uh, so yeah, I, I, I think if there was one that that I wanted to put in my list, but I was a little bit unsure of because I'm not a biggest fan of the movie, but I think the performance is outstanding. Is Michael Rooker in Henry? Mm. Yeah, I, I'd, I'd agree with that. Great performance. I hate the movie. Uh, I think the the one that narrowly missed out on being on my list was um, Christian Bale in American Psycho. Uh, mm, yeah. Just like I say, I could do a completely different list, and I would be just as satisfied with it as I am with this one. I'm actually quite dissatisfied with my list now, to be honest. <laughs> but that's the way you go. The, the there is an absolute abundance of movie psychopaths. So, Absolutely. Yeah. Okay, so we're going to move on to the choice for the next episode where I will list off five choices for Brian with short synopsis and he will eliminate them until what we are left with. We shall review next episode. Just before we do that, though, just a little bit of housekeeping. Uh, if you enjoy what you've been listening to, if you listen to us regularly... I just want to take the time to to ask you to head over to iTunes and just give us a quick rating and review. It doesn't need to be an essay, just a couple of lines there, just to let people know 
what they'd be getting into if, if they uh, you know clicked on that download button or that play button. Uh, we want as many people listening as possible, and it's people like you who you know spread the word that is going to make that happen. So yeah, we'd really really appreciate it if you could do that for us. Thank you very much in advance if you do. But yeah, so back to your options then. Okay, Mr. Lomax, are you ready? I'm ready. <sighs> okay, number one. <clears throat> Red and his wife live an idyllic life away from their past until their world is shattered by a horrendous event, which sends Red into a spiral of revenge. Number two. The oncologist wife of a prominent child psychologist suspects her husband has an unhealthy scientific obsession with their child, unaware of what is really going on inside his head. Number three, a group of disgruntled army officers have banded together to form an organisation called the OAS. Their aim, to kill the president. After several failed attempts and the trial and execution of several of their leaders, the OAS hire an assassin in a final attempt to complete this task. That was quite a long one, actually. <laughs> Number four. After a bizarre and nearly deadly encounter with a serial killer, a newswoman is sent to a remote mountain resort to recuperate. And number five, Ray takes a week off from work to relax, but his neighbours just won't let him as the procession of strange and weird neighbours seem hell-bent on giving Ray a breakdown. Is there any that interests you, Brian? <laughs> I don't have a good... Do you think I've seen these? I think you've seen, I'd say, a minimum of two, possibility of four. Oh. Get rid of number five because that doesn't sound like okay. interest very much. Okay, you've got rid of the burps, starring Tom Hanks. Oh, good. <laughs> <laughs> I've not actually seen that film all the way through, but for whatever reason, it has just never interested me at all. Sacrilege. Yeah, I don't know why. I, don't, I could be missing a classic, I don't know, but it's just never really hit the spot. Okay, um, number one sounds, number one and number two actually, like number two could be Raising Cain, I don't know, it's been so long since I've seen Raising Cain that I could just be totally off the mark with that one. Um, re re read number one again. Red and his wife live an <coughs> idyllic life away from their past until their world is shattered by a horrendous event which sends Red into a spiral of revenge. See, that sounds like a history of violence. But I, I don't know if you're changing the name of the character there or whether, you, whether that is no. the actual... That's the actual name of the character. That is oh, the right. actual name of the character. I don't remember him being called Red then in that film, so I don't think I don't think that is history of violence. Uh, mm. Oh, good grief! No, is number four the one about the reporter woman? Get rid of that one. You have got rid of the howling. <laughs> I just bought that recently as well. Man alive. Um, 
Go on, number three. Read number three to me. A group well, of disgruntled army officers has banded together and formed an organisation called the OAS. Their aim to kill the president. After several failed attempts and the trial and execution of several of their leaders, the OAS hire an assassin in a final attempt to complete the task. Man. That, that sounds interesting, but it sounds like it could be a screwball comedy as well. Like, um, it is not a screwball comedy. Right, okay. So it's not in the vein of true lies or anything like that. No. Right, okay. Um, oh, of the man. three that we have left, yeah. I'm positive you've seen one. Oh, this is difficult. Man alive. Get rid of two. You have got rid of raising cane. Yeah. <laughs> right, so. And um, I know out of these two movies that are left, there is one that you would like to watch. Oh, <laughs> that's not fair. <laughs> um, oh, good grief. Pick a colour, red or blue. Oh, I'll take the red pill, please. Right, get rid of number one, then. Oh, you have gotten rid of Mandy. Oh. <laughs> right, OK. And you have chosen the day of the jackal. Oh. Have you seen the okay. day of the jackal, Brian? I've not. I saw the remake. I did oh, not remake. like that at all. No. That's because the remake's awful. Right. Um, this isn't the remake. This is the one from the 70s. Have you seen this one before? No, but I know it has right. a, a sterling reputation. Okay. Um, and it's been a while since we did something like this. Yeah. Um, it's got a great cast. Um, <clears throat> I just happen to have the Arrow Blu-ray sitting there that I want to check out. Okay. So... I, 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 I don't own this, so... Right, and top five assassination movies. A top five assassination movies. Yeah, an assassination okay. is the, 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 the main aim. plot point. Yeah. Um, so it, it could be the driving force, but, not, but, but there doesn't necessarily have to, have to be someone assassinated. Nope. Right, it could be about an attempt, but a failed attempt. So, right, okay. It's a decent enough top five for me. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So we're going to um, jump into our first watch again, back to the seventies uh, for the day of the jackal, along with the top five assassination movies. Thanks for listening. We appreciate it, and we'll see you next time on Brits on Flex. <laughs>
Let's get 